start that. You should see when you're not here. Oh no. It really gets in clustering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's tough. It is a lot. We'll try and get getting everything going and that going in some yeah. the laptop. Yeah, that's always a variable. Yeah. All right, so as we know, we've been going through uh, the book of Jeremiah with, with uh, Steve. Pastor Steve's been taking us through. We're up to, I think we did chapter 9 last week. Let me get this up here. Jeremiah is very is a really good book Steve chose. I mean, you know, the, he, and he's brought out the point how applicable the environment is in Jeremiah to today. The apathy, the false prophets, people are backslidden, they don't care about anything. And, you, and then you got Jeremiah that are, you know, in their face trying to get them to to turn and it, it ain't happening. So, um Continuing that theme, what Steve asked me to do this morning. Hey, uh, Kaylee, that's cool. Yes, come on. Ahead. We've got a handout there by Chuck. Okay. Going to help follow along. Um, all right, so what Steve asked me to, to talk about this morning, we, we've been in Jeremiah for a couple months now, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's a constant dialogue of Jeremiah preaching to the Jews, telling them how they got to turn around, turn or burn. I heard someone say, that's what Jeremiah is saying. So Steve asked me to come up this morning and just talk about, well, who are these Jews and how did they get to this miserable condition they're in and what can we learn from the mistakes that they have made? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and so that's why I titled my, my little thing here, Jewish History 101. I wasn't sure to put history on it because most folks don't really care much for history. So I don't want to... I know Pam does. She's a fellow history buff. Uh, so, but we're going to talk just briefly. Uh, having an understanding of the Jews it will really help a person put their Bible together. And it'll really help them when they're studying books like Jeremiah and the Minor Prophets and things like that. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about. Now, before I get going... I said last week that I'll have a candy bar. I got the big one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So does anyone remember? Oh. Last week, Steve mentioned a dude in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about him again today. Steve mentioned a guy that made a covenant. and He entered into agreement with God. And uh, God actually gave him a token something to do to symbolize that agreement. Does anyone remember who that was and what he did? It's very important. No? Is it Abraham? Abraham is the guy. Circumcision. We got off on that little uh, side subject of circumcision, so I'll save this for you know next time. Um, <laughs> I might, I'll probably give it to the kids, actually. We're teaching the kids next hour. so Actually, I do. I have to shut down a little early because we've we got to get over to the Mighty Warriors. But Steve talked about, he introduced us to Abraham. Abraham entered into an agreement with God, and, and God said, uh, because of this agreement we have, I'm going to give you a symbol of the agreement, which was circumcision, a, a physical circumcision of the males. Uh, that was to denote their friendship with God or their agreement with God um, and what we're going to touch on today is everything in the Old Testament that happened physically pretty much always happens to us in this New Testament age spiritually Abraham got physically circumcised and all the children and his progeny when we come to Christ, we have that spiritual circumcision that talks about in Colossians that Steve went through last week. Uh, I'm not going to go through it this week because he did a really good job on that. But just, I just want to bring out Abraham. We're going to talk about Abraham again. Which kind of leads me on to the handout here. The Jewish History 101, we're going to talk about Old Testament lessons for us New Testament believers. What can we learn from these, these Jews? Uh, just kind of review, simple review. I'm going to go through this quick. But we, if you've been around this church any length of time, you know that the Bible has at least three ways to, to view it. There's a historical application of Scripture, a doctrinal, and an inspirational. Uh, and I put little definitions of what that means. So, so taking Jeremiah as just an example, 
things in the Old Testament, things in our Bible, really did happen. There really was a guy named Jeremiah. There really was a king, Nebuchadnezzar. There really was, you know, Jerusalem, they got sacked, and all these things happened. There really was a Noah, on and on. Historically, all that is true, and that's one way you can look at it. The second way is doctrinally. There's always a teaching. God doesn't just write the book just to tell a story. He's got a teaching behind it. It's a word picture. So for Jeremiah, for example, that we've been talking about, Jeremiah, he was a type of the 144 virgins that Brian actually talked about last Sunday in Revelation. God asked all those Old Testament prophets to do something weird. He asked Isaiah to preach naked. He, he told Hosea to marry a prostitute. Um, every one of those guys, he had him do something weird. He had Jeremiah don't marry. Because Jeremiah is a type of these virgins. <laughs> so then you've got Jeremiah uh, preaching to God's people about a coming king, Nebuchadnezzar, which is a type of the Antichrist. So what you've got in the book of Jeremiah is kind of a preview of the book of Revelation. It, it kind of plays out in Jeremiah. So that's I'll kind of leave that there, but that's the doctrinal application of Jeremiah. And inspirationally, and this is where we're going to kind of hang our hat on today, the book of Jeremiah is about God warning his people, it's us, it's the Jews, about backsliding and listening to false prophets and avoiding the certain judgment that's coming. Um, It's interesting, like backsliding, the word backsliding, it's not in our Bible very much, but Jeremiah uses it 13 times. The word backsliding is in the book of Jeremiah. So if you know numerology, you know, the numbers mean something in the Bible. Actually, that's a good candy board question. Does anybody know what the number 13 means? Rebellion. Rebellion. Anytime you see the number 13 in the Bible, 13 times, 13 this, 13 that, God's kind of teaching you that this has something to do with rebellion. So that's what uh, Jeremiah's uh, got going. 13 times he's calling them backslidden people. So who are God's people in the book of Jeremiah? Where do they come from, and what can I learn? And what I did, <laughs> I prepared a little slide deck. And it's funny, because when I'm at work, salesmen will come in, and they want to, like, they have a slide deck they're going to show. And it's like, oh, man, uh, they can be boring. So I, I tried to make this not boring. So what we're going to do here, I'm going to take you guys through... Um, a high-level, kind of like a rock skipping off a pond, a high-level look at the Jewish people and how they got to where they're at in the book of Jeremiah. And then what we can kind of learn from that. So, um, of course, that's the flag of Israel. Actually, you guys probably seen in the papers, the Hamas threw some rockets at Israel again. I mean, it's really heating up over there. It's just... I get so excited when I read the news. You know, Netanyahu's trying to get the government put together, and the Hamas is bombing. They're bombing each other. You know, now Russia's invaded the Ukraine. It's heating up. Uh, don't have time to get into all that. But anyway, that's the Jewish flag. Now, yeah, some of this didn't come out too well. Let's kind of recap what we're gonna we're gonna go through here. All right, now this is where it gets it's confusing for a lot of folks. And um, when we read our Bibles, we've got all these terms that we run across, especially in the Old Testament when we're trying to read Ezekiel or Amos or Hosea, whatever we're wanting to read in our Old Testament. There's all these different terms for God's people. Uh, They can be confusing, don't really know who they're talking about. Well, having an understanding of who God's talking about can really help you put the Bible together. So that's what we're going to kind of cover here. So we're going to start at the beginning. Adam and Eve. We all know the story. They're in the garden. They sinned. Um, I made sure to put a grape up there. It wasn't an apple. It was grape. But that's another message. But... You know, whenever after the after the when sin came in, God told Adam and Eve that I'm going to bring a deliverer through your seed, through a humans. 
So that's kind of the first promise that God made. He made a covenant with Adam. You're going to work the land. You're going to pain and childbirth and all that stuff that we're still under today. And he told Adam and Eve, I'm going to bring a savior through your seed. So that's kind of the first thing that God did. Yeah, uh, this is the genealogies from Adam to Abraham. There's 20 of them, and we're not going to go through them, of course. But the only thing I wanted to point out, because it, it applies to the news today, you know, Adam had all his kin, and they come down to Noah. You know, Noah had the three boys that got off the ark, and one of them was a guy named Shem. Uh, and out of Shem's seed, Shem, the Shemites are the, the Arab folks, our Arab friends, you know, the Palestinians and all, they're all Shemites. So they come down to Abraham. So Abraham is from the line of Shem. That'll, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. So we get to Abraham. This is the, this is the father of Abraham. It's who Steve was talking about. He's a direct descendant of Adam through Noah and Shem. Uh, we've talked about Abraham before, but he lived in the Ur of Chaldees in the Babylon area. You know, Shem was over here. Or not Shem, but Abraham. He was over here, Babylon area. God, what time is it? Um, let's, let's just look at this real quick. God calls him out for whatever reason. Let's go to Genesis 12. This is the point where God chooses Abraham and the nation of Israel is like founded. Um, all right, so Genesis 12, I'm just, I'm just going to look at verse 1, 12, 1. All right, now the Lord had said unto Abram, this is before he changed his name, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, I will bless thee, I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Don't know why God chose Abraham. Abraham, if, if you remember the story, he's from a long line of heathens. You know, he lived over here in the Babylon area. His daddy was a heathen. They Sun gods, moon gods, his grandpa. I mean, all these guys were sun and moon worshipers. For whatever reason, God saw something in Abraham just like he's seen things in us before we got saved. We were all wicked, and I was not from the greatest family. He calls Abraham and says, Get out of your family, leave your family, leave your country, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And it's it's a pilgrimage that Abraham embarks on. It's the same thing that God does to us. When each one of us came to know the Lord, he asked us to leave our families, leave, leave your you know, playmates and playground thing. And I'm going to take you on a journey. You don't know where you're going yet, but it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to do great things through you if, if you're obedient. So that's what he did with Abraham, and that's what Abraham did. And lots of principles apply to us from Abraham. Now, Abraham was the grandson of a guy named Eber. So all of these Ebers kids are called Ebers, which kind of evolved into Hebrews. So that's why we call them Hebrews. It's simply because Abraham, is a, he's an Eber, Hebrew. That's where the Hebrew name kind of got started. That's why they're called Hebrews, because he's from Eber, Ebers boys. Um, so God chose Abraham to fill, fill his plan. Um, interesting thing, side note. God gave Abraham unconditionally. I mean, this that we just read. God told Abraham, "I'm going to do these things for you, unconditional." God also gave Abraham this land grant that goes from the Nile River to the Euphrates. This is what God sees as the promised land. This is the land that Israel should have and will have when the Lord comes back. Well, right now, Israel, they're over here on this Mediterranean, you know, the country of Israel is not very big, and they're fighting with Hamas and the Palestinians and all that. Uh, this is actually their land grant. It's huge. So 
uh, even though we're they're squabbling over this, when the Lord comes back, this is what they're getting. And that's all laid out in Genesis 15. All right, so moving on. That's the faith journey. God calls him to leave this area, go to this area that I'm going to show you. Abraham becomes the father of three big religions. You know, of course, the Islams all claim they're descendants of Abraham. The Jews, obviously, are descendants of Abraham. And us Christians, through the Jew, we're, we're the spiritual children of Abraham. I think it's in Galatians. That's why there's all the fighting. We all, I think we all know this. That's why there's all the fighting in Israel is because they're all contending for that land. The Islam thinks they own it. The Jews think they own it, which, you know, like I say, the Jews, Jews do own it. All right, real quick. Abraham, he had a boy named Isaac. Uh, lots of cool stories in Genesis about Isaac. Isaac had a boy named Jacob. So these are the, this is the seed. Oh, something else, too. When God told Adam, I'm going to bring a deliverer through your seed, that was a kind of a wide angle. When he gets to Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to bring the deliverer through your seed, Abraham. Uh, so he's kind of like fine-tuning the prophecies about Jesus. And that's kind of what he does. with he, he confirms that with each of Abraham's sons. So he tells Jacob, I'm just coming through your seed too. Jacob was a rascal. Uh, he was a schemer. He cheated people. He did all kinds of weird things and to get his own way. And he was basically a rascal. Uh, and one night God had to get a hold of him. And he did. The midnight wrestling match. And Jacob finally got his heart right. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means wrestle with God. So that's where the name Israel comes from. That's actually the name of Jacob. Okay? Jacob had 12 sons, which now they're the 12 sons of Israel. They're the children of Israel. That's where all this comes from. So, now we have the children of Israel. We, we see a nation being formed here. And um, this is the order of the 12 boys by their birth. God tells uh, Judah, the deliverer, is going to come from you. So that's why we call Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Because Jesus is a direct descendant of this guy from the 12 sons of Israel. That's that's how all this kind of goes together. Um... And these guys were all, they all had their problems. And all this is described in the book of Genesis. That's what all the book of Genesis is about, is setting all this up. They become a nation. Lots of, lots of the children of Israel. All these tribes, they get big, they get huge, and they end up in Egypt. And we all know the story. After a period of time, the Israelites go down to Egypt. They become under bondage to the Egyptians uh, for 400 years. And then we got Charlton Heston, Moses shows up. God brings a deliverer through Moses to, to get him out of, the, out of Egypt. They part the Red Sea. You guys know the story. They get out. Now, Exodus 19, this is kind of a, there's a few chapters in our Bible, probably a dozen or so, that are just really good to know and have a handle on. This is one of them, Exodus 19. This is the point where God actually uh, makes a covenant with Israel. Um, and, and they go into a partnership. And it's the same partnership that they're breaking in Jeremiah. So let's, let's flip over to Exodus 19. And uh, we'll just kind of look at that real quick. Exodus 19. I hope I'm not boring everybody. I think a lot of us already know some of this, but it's just, it's good to review. This is this is where we got to where we are in Jeremiah. So, all right, Exodus 19. Let's look at. All right, so they just left the Red Sea. You know, in that picture. Moses just let them out. Now they're they're just a few days out of Egypt at this point. Um, look at verse three. 
19.3 Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Okay, just pause there. So the house of Jacob, remember Jacob was the guy that had the twelve boys, and the children of Israel, that's all his kids. So it's kind of talking, that's who we're talking about. Verse 4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if, and I have a big square on that, on my Bible, because this, this is conditional. If you guys will obey my voice indeed, and keep my coma- uh, covenant, then... Ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, and all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which shall so speak. So he's saying to the people, If you will obey me and be my people, I'll be your God. Entering into a covenant with them. This is the Mosaic covenant, scholars speak. Well, down in verse 8. And all the people answered together and said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they said, okay, we'll do it. So that's when they, that's when uh, there's a few times in the prophets that that's like God married Israel. They like became into this covenant agreement. They'll be his people. He can be their God. It's all good. That's, that's when it starts. The next chapter, he gives them the Ten Commandments because, you know, there's people now. And then the rest of the book of uh, Exodus and Leviticus, God says, okay, I'm going to live with you now. I'm your God and you're my people. So he he gives Moses the plan for the the wilderness tabernacle that we've studied many times. It's on that back shelf back here. Um, This was where they had the Holy of Holies and they did their sacrifices. Uh, You know, we know the wilderness tabernacle. So they carried this around all through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. This was their path out of Egypt. They, They go through Arabia. They kind of loop through here for 40 years. They're, they're, you know, they're 40-year wandering in the desert until they finally get up into Joshua and they go into the Promised Land. And that's when we get into the historical books of Israel, and I'm not going to go through all those. But when they get into the Promised Land, uh, and it's just like, uh, I mean, it's just rich with meaning about the, the children of Israel messing around, doing what God said for a while, then they don't do what God says then they get back on track we've talked about the cycle of sin, they go through in judges, they, they keep they keep messing up and God will deliver them it's just like us, you know I mess up, I get away from the Lord, I cry out to God God help me out, I made a mistake and, and he helps me out and I do okay for a while and then I mess up again and that's exactly what Israel did for hundreds of years. They did it through the Judges, the book of Judges. Then they, they wanted a king. They got their first king, Saul. He was not a good guy. So then they got their second king, David, which was a good guy. You know, He wrote most of the Psalms, our book of Psalms that we have. Uh, very good guy. And, and uh, David had a son named Solomon. And we, we all, we've all heard how Solomon was the wisest guy that ever lived. Well, some of the big things Solomon did, up to this point, the children of Israel are still packing around this wilderness tabernacle. Solomon built the permanent tabernacle in Jerusalem to replace the wilderness. So like I say, they've been packing this thing around for hundreds of years, and they finally have a real temple. This is the temple that gets destroyed in Jeremiah. It, it, it lasts for a long time. Um, anyway, it gets destroyed. Solomon, under King Solomon, Israel was at its apex in, in, in everything. They, they had more land than they had ever had. They had rest in their land. They were all serving the Lord. It was a great time to be an Israelite under King Solomon. He reigned for 40 years. Uh, peace in the kingdom. Solomon, of course, wrote the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. He's just a great guy. But, unfortunately, when Solomon died, and this is real important to understand here, when Solomon died, 
a civil war breaks out in Israel and the kingdom gets divided and this will kind of set the stage for the rest of our Old Testament and and having a handle on this is really helps a person out if they want to get into some some deep Bible study so this is the nation of Israel under Solomon well when Solomon dies he's got this uh, leader in his cabinet a guy named Jeroboam he's a crooked dude he takes the ten tribes, they kind of draw a line in, in the sand here, so to speak, and, and Jeroboam takes the northern tribes, and then this is Solomon's son, he's a good guy, and he takes the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Well, what happens here, and this is in the book of uh, Kings, I, I think toward the end of Samuel, they named the northern kingdom Israel. So how now it's, it's confusing now because now it was Israel, but after the split, only the northern kingdom is Israel. And the southern kingdom is called Judah. So it's just confusing. Um, so you had the three kings, you got the split of the civil war, and you got Judah and Israel. And I, I kind of put how it plays out. When we're reading our Bibles, First and Second Samuel are about the united things that go on during the kings. When you're reading First and Second Kings, that's really about the northern tribe of Israel. And the the First and Second Chronicles is about Judah. Um. It just helps a person when they're reading these through to understand who they're talking about. Does that make sense? Does everybody kind of follow me? Um, the kingdom of Israel started out in, in rebellion. They rebelled against Solomon's son. The kingdom of Israel had about 20 kings, and they were all wicked. We hear guys like Ahab, Omri, you know, all that. The, the wicked things we really hear about with Israel were really with this northern kingdom. Um, books like some of our prophets, like Amos and Hosea, were speaking to these guys in the northern kingdoms. God finally had enough of their hijinks. And these guys were taken captive around 721 by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were up north. They came down. They just took the northern tribes and they just, they're done. So that was Israel. Now, what's interesting, though, is Judah, they had, they had a few bad kings, but they were mostly good kings. But most important thing with Judah is this was a, a succession of kings by blood. Solomon's son had a son who was a king, Rehoboam. Rehoboam's son was king, so and such was king. It was son, it was blood. So if Israel, if Judah had still been on the throne when Jesus was born, you know, he would have been a king because he was from this bloodline. Now it's different from Israel. These guys were like, it was like watching the Godfather series. These guys were killing each other off. So it wasn't a bloodline of kings. That makes sense. These guys were just up here goofing around, killing each other, and whoever killed the king, now you're a king. But with Judah, it was a planned out thing. So that's just kind of a side note. But Judah also had around 20 kings. They had a lot of good kings. You know, a lot of good kings. Uh, finally, they got so backslidden and messed up that God took them out too. And that's where we're at in Jeremiah. So when we're reading the books of like, you know, Isaiah, Micah, Joel, Jeremiah, Daniel, those are written to Judah. In a, they're in a different condition than Israel. So Jeremiah is preaching to the Judah. Israel's already gone. They should know better. You know, that's that's kind of thing. And every once in a while in Jeremiah, he'll say, like, well, you remember what happened to Israel? It's going to happen to you. And that's what he's talking about. So, uh, Assyria takes the northern kingdom, 720. 
Alright, another another key thing that happens here. When Syria Assyria took the northern kingdom, they took out a bunch of the Jews and they stuck them over here where they're at in Nineveh. Well, what's what's important for future study is that the king of Assyria starts populating this area with heathens to refill where the Jews were. And that creates the Samaritans because the Jews that are there start intermarrying with these heathens. And that's why during Jesus' time, they hated the Samaritans because they gave in back here and they were intermarrying and they like diluted the Jewish bloodline. So that's where the Samaritans come from. They mix the seed. They mix the seed, yeah. When they got taken out, you know, they... And the same thing we still do today. Well, finally, Judah gets taken. This is where we are with Jeremiah. You know, when we read all these books, that's talking about this kingdom going away. So, um, I thought I'd end it there. I figured you guys had enough of that. <laughs> so, who are the Jews in Jeremiah? We got, you know, the house of Jacob. We talked about the guy that had the 12 boys. Hebrews. Abraham was of the family of Eber. So he's a Hebrew, Israelites, he's the guy, Judah. Judah was actually a person. He was one of the 12 boys, but he becomes a tribe, becomes a kingdom. And on your handout, you know, I had wrote down just, I just threw these terms on your handout on the second page to show you the different uses of the term. And, you know, we're not going to go through those. But that's... That's why when you're reading like a, a minor prophet like Amos and he's talking about Israel, he's not talking about all of Israel. He's just talking about the northern kingdom of Israel and how wicked they are. So things like that. It's just good things to know. Um, Jews, the word Jew, remember back here, this tribe of Judah. Judah's... If you say Judah fast three times, Judah, 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 you, you'll end up sounding like Jews. So that's where the word Jews came from. It's kind of a blending of Judah's Jews. So that's why we say Jews. Technically, it's for meaning Judah, a specific tribe. But we, we now use it to mean all the Jewish folks. That's where that word comes from. Jews. When we say it, talking about the Jews. Um, Okay, yeah, back on your handout, the very bottom, on, on page two, well, not very bottom, but down toward the end, Semitic. We hear that word a lot in the news. So-and-so is anti-Semitic. The Germans were anti-Semitic. You know, some congressman made an anti-Semitic remark. Semitic is also a deviation of Shem. It's from, like, Latin, Greek, and it kind of gets changed to Shem. Shem turned into Semitic. So if you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-Jewish because Abraham was a Semite from Shem. So that's how we got that word. Hamas is anti-Semitic, which is funny because Hamas is also from Shem, but we mean it towards Jews. So that's where all those terms come from. Uh that kind of answers that. Who were the Jews in Jeremiah? They were like the tribe of Judah. That's where they came from. All right, so what can what what does all this mean to me? So the next page on the handout. This is where we'll kind of break off and get more inspirational. God calls Judah backsliding 13 times, like I mentioned. Um backsliding, you know, it's a term we use in Christianity today that refers to when you kind of become distant from God. It's something that if you're saved any amount of time after you know the Lord, it's going to happen. I mean, life happens and there are seasons and times in our life when just like the Jews and Jeremiah, we kind of get away from the Lord. But what we can learn from the Jews they didn't listen to the warning signs. And I, I am equating it to like a check engine light. You know, when we drive around in our car, if there's something going on, our check engine light comes on. Even though our car runs the same, seems okay, everything's fine. 
my check engine lights on. And as Christians, when we're going around doing our thing, sometimes our check engine light will come on and we're maybe doing some backsliding, but we don't really recognize it. These are warning signs that we need to think about that maybe our check engine light's on. And the first one, and then these these are just, me and Sherry were talking about these last night. These have been our, our experiences. I've been a believer for 30 or so years. These are things that I see in my life that I realize, hey, something's not right. And the first thing is when I lose my desire to spend time with God. Amen. There, you know, that's the, the first thing. Whenever I'm looking at getting up early and studying my Bible, it's just, oh, I don't want to today. And, you know, it's just, I'm, I just don't. Or I don't, I'm not happy about it. I'm not excited. I think there was a time. When I set my alarm early, and I couldn't wait to get in and read my Bible, get my coffee, and sit down and read. And if I'm no longer feeling that, then I, in my head, that's a check engine light coming on. I need to kind of address that and see what's going on. So that's why I put it. If there's a time in your life when you're more excited to spend time with God than you are now, then your, your light may be on. Um, it's that whole first love principle. You know, Have you lost your first love? When I first got saved... I did not grow up in a religious family at all. I hardly ever went to church, you know, Easter maybe, but I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know Old Testament from New Testament. I didn't, I didn't know anything. And it was all so exciting. I couldn't, I just, I loved learning the Bible. And now sometimes, you know, here 30 years later, it's like, eh, you know, there's some good stuff on Netflix. I got other things to do. It's not as exciting as it used to be. So I've got to really watch that. Second thing, losing my convictions. You know, I have my beliefs softened. There are things, when I first got saved, and I think all of us were this way, when we, when we come to know the Lord, and we start learning, and we want to please Him, we, we read things in our Bible that we should and shouldn't do, our beliefs, we have convictions about what we do, and I stopped doing things that I knew were wrong. That over a period of time, I'll find myself doing it again. I'll find myself watching it again, doing something again, and that's like a huge red flag. One of mine is music. You know, I was I was a musician growing up, and I was always in bands. There's a lot of music I just can't listen to because I know where it's going to take me. Well, there's times I hate to admit it, but I'm thinking, man, I, just, I wouldn't mind hearing that tune right now. So. Whenever I start doing that, that, that's a check engine light coming on. I can't do that. I, it's a, I'm losing my conviction. So we're, I think we all have those. So just think about things that we stopped doing that we find ourselves doing. It could be like a Jeff Foxworthy. And you may be losing your conviction. If you do, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you find you're losing your conviction. So you might be backslidden. That's right. Next one is a weak prayer life. I, you know, that's another one. We're, we're to pray without ceasing. Sometimes I don't. And whenever I, and usually, and we're going to get to how to address some of these on the next page, but yeah, we're, we're to pray. I'll get busy in ministry. Sometimes I get so busy in ministry and doing things for the Lord, and it's easy to do here at this church because we have a lot going on. That I'll find myself, I'll find my check engine lights coming on because I'm not doing some of this stuff. I'm, I, my prayer life's getting weak, or, or it's convicting when people say, "Hey, can you pray with me or pray for me? I got a big doctor appointment in the morning." And, oh yeah, I'm gonna pray for you tomorrow morning. Well, then sometimes I forget, and then it's so convicting. And I, I think we've probably all done that. Um, so, so if our prayer life is getting weak. You may be backslidden. I've got somebody telling me to tell somebody that you're going to pray for them. Pray for them right then and there. That way you yes. Know, yes. Doesn't have to work because I've done that a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I agree. Easier to pray, go to prayer right then and there. Not even with them, just in your own. You know, just get in communication real quick and just pray for them. Well, that's good. That's good practice. It is good. Let's pray for them right then and there. Mm-hmm. All right. Can you hold that? So next, losing your compassion. This is another thing. When I start losing my compassion, um, this is something I've had to, you know, I, I'll see a lot of, you know, when I work in life issues, you know, when I've, sometimes I'm just so compassionate to folks and then other times like, you know, 
You did this to yourself. Uh, they call it compassion fatigue. Yeah. Passion fatigue. That's good. That's what I get. And I think all of us get that. Because we got people and things in our life that just wear us out. And I do have compassion for them. But, so i got to keep that in check. So if I'm losing my compassion, if I'm getting compassion fatigue, check engine lights coming on. Um, yeah, a lot of times it's because I'm getting so busy in my own life, too. I did write, made a note there. When we're busy in our own life, it's hard to have a lot of compassion on some others. And number five, not excited about things God cares about. So, that's another candy bar. What are some things that we know God cares about? There's really two that I'm thinking of that the Bible is very clear on. The souls of men and the word of God. There you go, Pat, man. I didn't know you wanted to that and that's a good one God loves the souls of people and the word of God so if you're excited about getting people saved and and learning the word of God and applying it to your life then you're doing okay but when you no longer care about those things you may be a backslider Um, number six your decrease in your giving not just the bucks. You know, this is, I don't want to qualify that. God asks that you have your time, resources, talents, and of yourself. God God wants all of you. He wants all of me, not just my money. God don't need my money. We've, we've heard that. Uh, God wants all of us. So whenever I start getting stingy with my time or resources or, or money, uh, my check engine light's coming on, as all of us is, would be, that we need to kind of reevaluate. Well, what's really important? God gave me these things. God gave me beautiful wife, great job. Yeah, it's a uh, what's that? That video? I don't know. Talking Heads. Who? No, I was thinking uh, where I shouldn't be. But what's the name of that song? Once in a lifetime. Uh, the Talking Heads. Yeah, it's eighties. God gave me a beautiful wife. But anyway, whenever I decrease my giving, no matter what it is, then uh, you know I, um, my check engine light's coming on. Then I probably need to check on that. And then number seven, this is a big one: church attendance. Uh, you know, we should all be excited to be here. It's it's tough to get here a lot of times. It seems like Sunday mornings are always the worst. Whenever, whenever people, that's that's why it's important to people that when they don't come, you know, there's a lot of people not here this morning that probably should be, and uh, it's concerning when people stop coming to church because it's it's a check engine light coming on. I mean, it's okay to miss every once in a while. I, mean, I ain't worried about Steve, of course, but um, whenever someone is, is is consistently missing church, that is pretty much a guarantee that they're gonna the wheel's going to fall off the bus and they're going to end up in a ditch somewhere. Uh, check engine light will come on and then it'll just keep flashing and then it'll just, they're gone. It's so important to be here so we can encourage each other. You know, we, we all know the verses about iron sharpening iron and just so it's so important to come here and fellowship and bear each other's burdens and and just get get our batteries charged. Um, and it's, COVID's changed that for a lot of people. The COVID has changed. Has yeah. A bit of an exception there for some Yeah, there's always the COVID exception. You're right there. Um, anyway, so church, when, I, when I'm not excited to come to church, then that, that concerns me. And I'm not talking about just one Sunday because sometimes I don't feel like it. But I always try to, I mean, Sherry, what we try to do is really ask the Lord to show me, speak to me when I come today. I charge my batteries. I'm tired. I don't feel like going. I know if I go, you're going to give me something good. So prepare my heart and give me something good. You know, pray that Brian will really say something to, to nail me. Um, so that's what I like doing. That's good. And you know what? I see when, when one of those yeah. check engine lights start going, usually there's multiple. But yeah. They just start adding up, you know. That's exactly true. Oh, thanks, Sherry. Yeah, the old check engine light. So, if you're experiencing any of these, your check engine light's probably on, which is perfectly normal. Nothing to be concerned with, but it needs a tune-up. Like I say, it happens to all of us. If you've been saved any length of time, you're going to have a a time in your life when you're a little further from the Lord than what you want to be or should be. 
So when that happens, so I wanted to give a quick thing on how can you look at yourself, what questions can you ask yourself to find out why your check engine light's on and how you can get it off, get back on track. So first, number one, big time, am I spending consistent quality time with God? Yes or no? And if your answer is no, that's probably why your light's on. There's no shortcuts to having a relationship with the Lord. You've got to put in the work, just like a marriage. You've got to, you've got to set aside time. Actually, uh, Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorites, and he had a saying one time that, let me think here, a, a good Christian will, will uh, spend time with God any time they can, like when they're driving or walking. You know, A good Christian will do that. A great Christian will make time for God set their alarm early, you know, whatever they need to do, make an appointment with God. So that's something we should be doing is having consistent quality time with God, putting in the time. Number two, this is another one. It's, this, is, this is basically my thought process when I feel like I'm away from the Lord. Is there something, is there some sin in my life that I'm not recognizing or confessing that's causing this this riff with God. You know, if I've got sin in my life, I'm going to have guilt and conviction. And it's hard to be close to the Lord when you're under guilt and conviction. I love the Proverbs. You know, Solomon wrote them. He that covers the sin shall not prosper. As long as you're harboring sin in your life, you know, you're not going to prosper. You're going to have a, a relationship problem with the Lord. He's going to keep tapping you on the shoulder until you get it right. All right, so number three, am I spending consistent quality time with God's people? You know, it's again, it's coming to church, being being lifted up by others. Um, I ran across a Gallup poll statistic one time, how even during the COVID, churchgoers, which is us, we are statistically less depressed than those outsiders, people that don't go. We're less depressed, we're less angry, we're less stressed. We're just overall more happy. Mm. Coming to church is very important, statistically. Hey, you know what? At the doctor's office, they'll ask, are you, are you a uh, Christian? You know, like, do you believe in the Lord? Oh, they do? A question because they consider that as a healthy choice. You know, Randolph used to ask that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they know. People know that church-going people, people that have people of faith... You know, we're, we're less depressed. All right, number four. Uh, this is another thing that applies to me. Is there something in my life distracting me from focusing on God? And that is so easy to happen to us in America. It can be people, hobbies. We all love hobbies, jobs, money, and then ministry. You know, like I said, sometimes I get so busy here doing my thing that my check engine light will come on because I'm not spending quality time with the Lord or, or Sherry or prayer life or, or reading. Or, there's a lot of things. It's easy to get derailed by getting too busy with life. And we just we got to be diligent to not let that happen. And, and I, I love the verse in Hebrews 12.1. So I put it on here. Is, you know, Wherefore, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, there's a lot of people watching us. And they're rooting for us. It's like an Olympics. We're like running a race before a lot of people, and they're, they're rooting for our success. So because of that, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. And I got a bunch of things that I can easily be derailed that I've got to just watch out and just keep focused on Him and not let Him weigh me down. Um, so there's that. Now the last one. Am I taking care of me? And this is the Elijah principle that I've, I mentioned quite a bit because I really like it. Elijah was the Old Testament prophet that was doing all kinds of good stuff for God, just outstanding stuff. He got wore out. He got overwhelmed through really no sin. There was not a sin issue with Elijah, and a lot of times it's not with us. We just get depressed, out of balance. And we get kind of down in the dumps and it affects our relationship with God. So to combat that, you got to make sure you're always taking care of yourself, like physically. 
basic self-care, eating right, getting plenty of rest, exercise, having leisure time, time with your spouse, with your family. You've got to keep a balance because Proverbs 11.1 1 is false balance is an abomination. God does not want you out of balance. He wants you in the fight, slugging it out, so you've got to take care of yourself. And it's it's hard to do sometimes because there's a lot of things needing done, especially here at our church. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Can't be too out of, overcommitted or out of balance. Uh, i got a note here that duty doesn't replace devotion. So doing things in ministry like I'm talking about doesn't replace my personal relationship with the Lord. That's always number one. So anyway, so that's kind of it. Those are the warning signs that we need to look out for. These are things that if Israel would have done, they wouldn't have been where they were at in the book of Jeremiah. Because we know the story, Jeremiah, God will come and sack Jerusalem and all of them will go captive for 70 years in Babylon. We don't want that. So, Any comments, questions? That's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Um, I made a note for me personally because that personal inventory at the end of the day is key, uh, especially when you're in early recovery. You've got to do that inventory. Yeah. You know, to keep your to check your engine lights. Yep. And so I made a note on mine that with daily inventory, I need to ask myself what derailed me today. Oh yeah. At the end of the day, yeah, that is just good. Real quick, a brief. It just yeah. Take up lots of time to do that inventory. You know. Uh, because That's good. You, gotta, you know, you got to stay on track. You got to keep those check engine lights. Keep them off. Yeah, I, I think I get derailed every day, at least for a little bit. But to identify it, yeah, because we like, you know, we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Yeah, it was a good day. Well, not really. If you do that quick inventory, you know, that's a good point. And that's something I do. Actually, I heard a good message Steve brought a few years ago in Life Issues. Uh, about how David, uh, like along your point there, Dave, if, you, if you're not sure, did I get derailed, or you're not sure, I'll, I'll ask the Lord, God, show me where I failed you today or, or in something, and, and he'll do it. And uh, there was a good message Steve brought about this, the Psalms 19, the secret sins that we do. We don't really know we did. So. For couples, that would be awesome place to visit real brief. Yeah. What derailed us today? Yeah. You know? It might start a fight, though. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's good. So anyway, good stuff. That's Israel. That's how we can avoid their future. The comments are that the check engines examples were great. Oh, good deal. And the illustrations were a big help for Carol Novak. Oh, good, Carol, yeah. We love Carol. Always, always remember Carol in your prayers this week. She could use prayer. He's going through a lot of stuff. So, all right, we can close. we got to get out of here. Dave, would you care to close this? Sure. All right, thanks. Father God, just come to you today and just, uh, just want to praise you, Father, and thank you. And just thank you for our church that does teach us the word and your word, Father. And we just uh, look to you and uh, make sure our check engine light doesn't come on, Father. Even Jim says it's going to. But uh, we know the warning signs that we get right back in fellowship with you, Father God. And that's important just for me. Just to hear that today, I just thank you for that word today, Father. We love you, praise you, and all things.